Welcome, caller. You're on the line with the calls are coming from inside the podcast, an exploration of the human side of horror. Each week, we call a unique guest and ask them about one horror movie that left its mark on them. Together, we do a deep dive into our guest's personal connection to find out what horror feels like. I'm Kevin Sparrow, and this week, we're hitting the road as we start our horror holiday vacation. This month, we're looking at movies from outside the U.S. to see what horror feels like in other parts of the world. I'm taking on two guests at once as I start this first leg of our trip. I'm joined by Candace and Logan Connor of Um Photography to talk about the 2007 Spanish film El Orfanato, The Orphanage, the directorial debut of director J.A. Bayona. Spoilers ahead as we touch on the most important points of the saddest ghost story we've seen. Then stay sad as we head back to the Americas for our recommendation flick, the 2017 Brazilian film As Bosch Maneiras, Good Manners. So, yeah, some people have questions. They're like, are you doing video? Do I need to like look a certain way? I'm like, no, you can look <laughs> terrible. I won't comment on it. And if you want to look amazing and do a full makeup, turn a look, I'm not going to stop you. But Yeah, I could come back in a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> or you could just like do a look as part of of the podcast, Logan's Dress Up Corner. Oh, yeah. Well, we haven't been doing new episodes of Log- Logan's Dress Up Corner in a long time. Kind no. of on hiatus. Yeah, just yeah. after the after the fifth one went viral, uh got nervous about that. So. Too much attention, yeah, you, gotta you know? Step it back. You gotta don't want too much cool attention. Off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's um. definitely what all of us are worried about, I think, on the internet. There is I mean, I think it's true, right? There's like a certain uh, nice middle ground of attention you want. You don't want to go full yeah, those TikTok kids have a, they have a Hulu show, and it turns out it, it sucks. So what? that's the the Wait, what? long story. There, there's those I don't know, TikTok the, kids. There's two. There's right? TikTok hey, kids. Those TikTok there's kids. the two of them. There's two like sisters I'm turning into an old this person. Is, I'm I'm I've I'm embracing. I'm only getting older, as are we all. But oh, the uh, Demilios. That too. That too. They have a, a Hulu show, and I people said I haven't seen the show, but I heard people say like their life is just really sad. It's tough. I, they're suddenly, all of a sudden, so famous. Yeah, sucks for them. <laughs> but well, That's we'll get into say. sadness uh, because the movie okay, you chose is really good. sad. So don't. That's true. Uh, oh God! If you're really interested in getting into a sad life, we got it. This is true. I guess, yeah, and you said normally we go through this series of things, and I think I remember all of them. The first thing you said is that you introduce us, which is mm-hmm. that I'm Logan. Yeah, and I'm Candace. Hello. Oh, who are you? I I know that you have the same last name. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's true. And we're not siblings yet. No, not a, not at all. Not yeah. one. Not. <laughs> but, Hopefully, um... not in the future either. <laughs> right? No, no, no. Right. Uh, yeah, we um we are Candace and Logan, and uh, 
yeah, we do things in our house and uh, in Chicago. In Chicago, and uh, we have a company called Oom Photography where we take yeah. pictures of your face. Oom. Um, Oom. We went on a attack. Yeah, Oom. yeah. We went on a um involuntary brief hiatus for about you know a year um yeah but, oh uh, why, why was that involuntary hiatus yeah, yeah. i yeah. can't imagine why you would have to go on a hiatus <laughs> from something that involves <laughs> intimate proximity yeah. to other people yeah i mean there was like there was some bug going around so mm-hmm. you know we just yeah. <laughs> And but, he was smashing cameras. It was like a giant yes, grasshopper it was a type bug. bug. It was a literal bug. And he w- was just finding photographers, grabbing their cameras, yes. throwing them on the ground, oh. yes. and they would break. So we it was we, really didn't, bad. we were scared of that bug. I think I heard something about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I don't trust bugs. And of course, what I miss, maybe most of all, the annual chili cook-off. Yes. We haven't had, uh, yep. had in a the few years. Uh, yeah, it was funny. It was going to be, uh, I actually was taking off that year, 2020. And I was going to be like, well, we'll do it next year. And then, uh, again, things happened. But I'm hoping that, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I'm hoping that um, in the winter this year, we'll do the chili cook-off. The competition's going to be a participatory. Um, I just want people, I just want people to bring chili. I don't care how you make it, what you do, you know, what mm. you bring with it. You can bring soup. I just want you to bring chili. <laughs> um, is and chili the, uh, not a soup or like, are those separate? This oh, is always a classification issue debate. that I get into. Well, yeah, I yeah. think that's what I'm here for. I'm ready to go viral <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, on soup actually... debates alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually uh, a reason why I took a break because, um, you know, we have some very, very dedicated um, uh, participants and I appreciate and adore them all, uh, not only as friends, but as competitors. Um, fierce competition very fierce you know and they took it more serious than i did uh the person putting it on so you know i needed a a a year to regroup (laughs) but uh yeah i definitely want to do a competition maybe in 2023 but i think 2022 uh and and the competition will be this is what a chili is because that was uh that was a controversy in 2000 18 yeah so yeah so mm. i think with this next one i want people to uh just come on back and bring some chili and um yes there will be participatory ribbons perfect great i've got some chili powders ready yes oh okay yes uh i, I was gonna say i'm also coming back to my makeup podcast where you can listen to me apply makeup and not mm-hmm. speak <laughs> Uh, it went. I had to take a couple of years off. I had to cool off. <laughs> what was the also... uh, What was the title of that podcast? Oh, you know, Kevin said it earlier, and I don't want to toot my own horn. Uh, it's a uh, Logan's makeup sounds. <laughs> Amazing inside <laughs> Logan's face. Yes. <laughs> Pours and more with Logan. Pours <laughs> and more. Why yes. did my name end? Yes, pours and more. that would have gotten you a. That's a missed opportunity. Yeah, that would have gotten yeah. you a, a podcasty, like an Emmy. I don't. Do you do you win Emmys for podcasts? I don't mm. even know. Or a. I mean, some of us do. A Webby a or a Webby. Webby's a Webby? an award. Okay. A yeah. Webby is an award. Yeah. You know, I'm happy with just the. A ribbon from the dollar store, you know. Well, that's enough for me. 
Well, get ready to Chili Cook-Off 2022. <laughs> Everyone gets damn ribbon from the dollar store. Yes. Oh, my God. I should totally have participatory ribbons and then just buy a slew of ribbons that are just ribbons. Oh, just like a roll of ribbons. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so if you. There's if, some nice ribbons no, out there. No, yeah. No, 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 oh. uh, no. Like craft ribbons. But like you because you can actually order. You can order ribbons to say whatever you want. Yeah. Um, of course, you can also buy them at Party City and stuff. But like uh, you can absolutely uh, get a ribbon that says ribbon. And, you know, wear it around. So. Oh. Yeah, I think that um, I want that. I like okay. things. I, you know, I'm not necessarily always literal minded, but in this case, I like things to just, you know, be what they are on the surface and just explain, mm-hmm. oh, ribbon. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike when things are not what they seem and then they can be uh, spooky or. Um, Segway. Are you trying to, to segue us, Logan? <laughs> That's not your job. <laughs> it was right. That it was it fit so job. naturally, though. Wow. It was such it, an even I smooth transition. Wow. Awkward. Uh, wow. But since we're coming out of an awkward segue, what is your history as as a pair or as separate individuals with the horror genre? I can definitely say for both of us that we are uh pretty lame mainstream people <laughs> like i i you know we're, we're definitely we are not people that um identify as being into the horror genre or or uh, things that are dark in general we just get scared by the ring you know oh my god like that's how that's how like mainstream we are no are you no. scared hearing the the ring the word <laughs> the ring the ring yeah. I, I'm scared when uh, women with long hair flip it forward in front of their faces because <laughs> of the ring. Which I actually do every day because, yeah. you know, I got to put my hair down and wrap it up to mm-hmm. when I out of the shower because I got to dry it. I, I want to I wanna amend that yeah. because, yes, we are. I definitely yeah think we're at the, you know, the, the box office level of, of horror. We're like, you know, if it's in the movies, we've seen it. Um, or it's in the theater, excuse me. Um, but... Uh, I know I love horror movies that are uh, like horror. Ha- hor- horror movies. I also can't say horror. horror. Har- oh, horror. people say it all different horror. ways. I love it. <laughs> I... Yeah, embrace the way you say it. I jokingly was calling Rocky Horror Picture Show Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it kind of stuck on accident. Um, but uh, yeah, but I know my favorite genre is. Uh, uh, the ones that uh, mess with your brain. So, mm. like, the thing that I get completely freaked out about is face contortions. Ooh. So, if the face is like, even if it's something that like isn't um, a scary movie, if like the person's face is contorted in some form of way, uh, it freaks me out. I've even freaked myself uh, while looking myself in the mirror, and like I just caught my face. You know, I, I caught a glance like when I wasn't paying attention, and my face was contorted a little bit. Freaks me out. So the ring. Is definitely uh, well. We're not talking about that today, but The Ring is uh, definitely one of those movies where. But I, everyone's I everyone's out. seen that movie. Yeah. So we don't I, have to go into detail, yeah. but like just mention people are like, oh yeah, yeah we know. Yeah. Have you been ringed? Yeah. That's that's how the kids ask about it. <laughs> have you been ringed? Yeah. Have you been ringed? <laughs> they, they all know. They're down. 
it's it is interesting though that you do have those like those particular like triggers i guess that like certain things spook you out then the faces is one of them and definitely possession movies or the idea of possession part of, is, is part of it that's yes, part of the face but pos- yes possession is is very interesting to me but that doesn't freak me out um well but <laughs> well okay it freaks me out on a normal level where you know it's not good to be possessed um but uh but depends uh, that's true. Usually there's contortioning happening with the possessions. So yes. like the possession of Emily Rose, the exorcist, you know, when they, when they, you know, she going down her little stairs and Emily Rose doing that little back thingy. Oh, yeah. ah, but I love it. And I'm just so glad contortionists have gotten such work in the horror genre, right? That right? Was probably a, a dying art until yeah. the horror genre was like, you know what? Get a contortionist yeah. in here. Let's break their limbs. <laughs> yeah. Get them to co- crab walk everywhere. That's good. That's good for them. <laughs> but I actually, I'm a laugher of gruesome movies, I feel. Like, maybe not gruesome movies, like, now, like, if it's too realistic. Like, and I'm, mm. I'm not a huge fan of them uh, either. But, like, going back to The Exorcist, when, uh, I'm sorry if I'm giving a spoiler, but when uh, the priest punches the devil, like, for real, like everyone was horrified in the theaters, you know, when they when they brought it back, uh, like about you know fifteen years ago, and I was laughing in the theater. I thought that was the most the funniest thing, because like the priest just went, like, that's it. <laughs> I there are a lot of funny parts in The Exorcist, I would say, but yeah, but uh, not many funny parts in The Orphanage. You see oh. how I did that? Oh, you see yes. how oh, jeez. Beautiful. Kevin, you can just take a break. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to just let you talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> so, Candace, uh, the first time that you saw The Orphanage, or Il Orfanato. El Orfanato. Means... Oh, dang El it. Orfanato. You're that going Italian, Italian with it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I, you know what? I don't, I don't have the, the chops. Kevin, you take over again. I'm working <laughs> with this as, yeah in kind of a holiday horror, right? Holiday vacation horror month, uh, looking at movies that are not U.S. centric. So I'm glad that you Mm. chose a Spanish produced Spanish language film. This was uh, from a series of questions, right? I asked what was maybe the best horror experience you've had together. So we'll delve into this a little more, but I was very intrigued by the orphanage by a choice that was kind of, less mainstream less fanfare around it maybe why the orphanage and how did you first see it i think it it was the experience of the first time that we watched it was definitely something that we weren't really expecting yeah i don't remember we knew it was a, ben, uh, it was a benicio de toro <laughs> no. no dang i do it guillermo, del toro. guillermo de toro that's yeah. true i think that was the excitement guillermo del benicio it was just Guillermo, like yes, a guillermo random night with some totinos and or whatever <laughs> and uh just like oh what, what what's available to stream oh guillermo de toro i haven't heard of this movie let's just try it so we had no idea what to expect i don't think we even knew that it was a horror movie necessarily mm-hmm. um which made it certainly more jarring when mm. <laughs> some of the stuff started happening I don't think it's giving anything away. I don't know how much you want to give away about 
spoilers are you can standards are on the spoil podcast. i have no standards um in this or any other aspect of my life so i think this <laughs> works perfectly I fine miss so, Kevin so, much. <laughs> so feel well, free to spoil nice. I, i'm very loose um okay and me, to borrow that too. joke again in all aspects of my life <laughs> so <laughs> nice oh <laughs> Yeah, and I guess this isn't really specific plot points, but just by the end of the movie, especially the ending itself, uh, we both cried <laughs> when we watched it. So, like, yeah. it definitely, it's the only horror movie, horror movie. that uh, that I've ever seen that, that moved me uh, in a touching way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, why did you do this to me? Because I had <laughs> never seen it before, so I was not expecting <laughs> to cry. Well, and we watched it for for the podcast. We rewatched it because when we watched it, it was like 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And like, believe it or not. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, so we watched it for this podcast. And I remember going like, okay, I kind of remember what's going to happen. Um, and of course, like every little thing freaked me out. Um, uh, 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 old lady Mick uh, Butthead. Um, I can't remember her actual name, but the one I think who that's, was, uh, that's the uh, English the language mom. translation. Yeah, old lady, McButtehead. old lady butthead. Yeah, Benina. Yeah. 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 Yes, Benina. Yes, uh, but uh, when she uh, that, speaking of spa- uh, face contortions, but when they showed her face after, uh, oh, you know, she, oh, ah, well, that was pretty- that was an enforced contortion. That was not something that she was doing on her own. No, oh, yeah, that's no. true. No. no, no job for a contortionist there. Just, oh, yeah. just a little CGI. Uh, hell of but... a makeup artist. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Her face got opened. Woof. Mm. Um, but like, yeah. So like, remembering all of these pieces. But like, as soon as the ending started, all of a sudden, my memories of thirteen years ago came back, and like, mm-hmm. you know, just watching it, watching when she died, watching her be with her friends and her kid. And then, of course, after the movie's over, I stop crying and I go, so this whole movie was actually about the kids trying to kill uh, Simone and the mom. And also, I felt really bad for Carlos. Like, really, the victim here is Carlos. <laughs> oh, I don't feel bad for him. He's oh, lazy, man. deadbeat. Like, you're living with your family. And you're still he was the worst. I hate Carlos. <laughs> you hate I'm Carlos. Sorry. Yeah, but Carlos's <laughs> eyes were so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sure, sure. It's I'll give easy. you that. I, kinda, I agree a little bit. Like, it, I, I find uh, it easy to hate Carlos. But, but what would you pers- have done? What I would have done would have been a, the exact same thing. Right. If, if, if you were, like... Um, I oh, yeah. Put yourself into the movie. Like ten us. people How died. How does this play out for Candace and Logan recently? <laughs> and I need to stay here by myself for two days while I talk to ghosts. Uh, I'd be like, bye. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want you to do that. But I mean, certainly, like, I don't know what else Carlos would have done except for believe. And that is that is a tall order of what to believe in. In fact. I think that my my um, trying to determine whether it's real or not was a really big part of my first experience watching it. But then the mm. second time that that we watched it, that was took a, a backseat, and I noticed a lot more of the details, which made me appreciate the storytelling more and how much they weave it in. But I think oh, so you were of thinking things... of it more as a, a psychological, like what's happening yes. to Laura. I couldn't versus... tell. Hmm. 
versus a ghost story. One of the reasons why the the emotional landing of the ending uh, hit me harder was I wasn't really thinking about the the connections between the people so much. Like it wasn't I wasn't paying as much attention to that as I was paying attention to wait is this all just in our head or is this actually mm. happening? And I mm. think they do a really good job of making that ambiguous. Almost everything that happens in the movie that's supernatural could have a realistic explanation. And so the whole time, the first time I was watching, I was just guessing, uh, wait, did that actually happen? Wait, did she say, no, that is like, for example, early in the movie, um, the ghost, uh, Tomas, Tomas! Uh, you know, slams the door on her finger and she pulls her fingernail off. Yeah, because um, he's mad. And everything. He's mad because she tries to remove his mask. Yeah, I'm not, I don't blame Tomas. And, uh, you know, if you are not believing in the supernatural stuff, then the explanation would be that's not really Tomas, that's just Simone who happens Mm. to have found Tomas's mask and put it on because there's also all this, uh, stuff in the narrative about there's a couple little clues about history repeating itself like an echo and so um you know that's also reference to simone sort of being the same as tomas and also the way that simone says that um that like tomas he's never gonna grow up also like Mm -hmm. peter pan another theme in the movie but yeah that's just one example of one of those things where it's like is that actually a ghost or is that just simone you know? Right. And psychologically what's happening to Laura in those moments as she's going back. So just to take a step back and just give a oh, giving yeah. an overall premise, maybe we can cobble that together. Oh, yeah. But, you know, basically in this movie, we see Laura, who is returning to the orphanage she grew up in somehow. She doesn't really explain how she acquired it, but she's taken ownership of the orphanage and moved in with her husband and yeah, they don't seem to have jobs. <laughs> they 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 have uh, some sort of source of wealth for which they yeah. could buy this very large orphanage and then potentially sort of open it back up again. I don't know. Oh, I assumed it was like a thing is, where you but... could buy it for a dollar and then she picks it up because it was in <laughs> bad be. shape. It was in bad shape. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to pay premium dollar for a haunted orphanage? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, pay two euro. two euro please but you know before the movie starts they win the lottery she purchases the orphanage that uh that she grew up in yeah or she was adopted by a really rich family from the orphanage yeah that is also a curious point like we don't really know what her adopted life was like but i guess not that great because she wanted to go back to the orphanage (laughs) that was her dream it was like i just want to go and live in my old orphanage Thus, the name of the movie. And basically from there, she starts to see this little boy in a mask. And on the day when the developmentally disabled children arrive that they're going to be supporting, I guess is what the orphanage she's turning it into as kind of a... I, I think she was making it a school for yeah. um, uh, developmentally disabled folks. Yes, because it looked yeah. like there were adults and youngins there. Mm-hmm. And also, their son uh, in the movie, Simone, who's there with them, he has The Shining, and uh, he um, yeah. he himself was adopted as well. 
Right. Right. They said that at one point that, um, which he didn't know, which he didn't know. They didn't tell him that he was adopted, but, uh, but Tomas according did. to him, Tomas did. the ghost Tomas told him. Yeah. Uh, but also he does have, uh, HIV as well. Yeah. Right? That was, a, that uh, was a surprise. I was like, oh, okay. Children with HIV. Let's throw and that we'll... on to the <laughs> There's a lot going on in really this movie, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of difference. for everyone. Yeah, like, there's no reason that they had to make the choice that, uh, we'll just stick developmentally disabled. I'm not knowing more specifics. There's no reason why that would necessarily be the home that they're opening, but I feel like the makers of this movie were like, let's just cram as many issues in here, like as many, you know yeah sad th- situations or difficult situations yeah but it didn't feel like I, for me this is my own particular opinion i did it didn't feel like it was doing it to be like i don't know misery porn or trying to make you feel a ton of pity for it it seemed more mm-hmm. that it was going with its message of caretaking and how the difficulties of caretaking right so sh- uh, Laura and Carlos have to take care of a child who has, you know, a chronic illness, and that's mm-hmm. a difficult thing. Taking care of children with developmental delays, Down syndrome, anything like that, that can also be a challenging thing. So I don't know, it came across to me a, in a way that wasn't arbitrary. It did seem like it was no, part yeah. of the themes. And it didn't, it didn't feel necessarily like they were yeah, it didn't feel arbitrary. It may also serve to kind of be an echo of uh, the difficulty that Benina would have had raising Tomas, mm-hmm. uh, who, mm. yeah, let's see the, the plot of the movie. Let's the <laughs> the family the moves in. The family moves. The in. child has imaginary friends because the the first child shines up some friends. They say exactly. The, the first 10 minutes moves so fast. Like, there's so many plot points yeah. being introduced. You learn so much about the family. Uh, they don't really waste any time with immediately when they say, these imaginary friends to me, I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but then, when uh, Laura and her son Simone are uh, taking a walk towards the lighthouse that is nearby, that is off nowadays, mm-hmm. they uh, they go look into a cave which is right on the coast and at high tide the cave becomes dangerous and uh when simone goes in there he starts talking with uh another new imaginary friend tomas and starts wanting too far and laura gets very nervous that he's gonna drown which in the end is what did happen to tomas a long time ago but on that foreshadowing yeah (laughs) On that day, Simone invites Tomas back to his house to play. And he leaves little shells that they collected at the beach as a trail for him to find them. Although, yeah. I, I don't know that Simone, or that Tomas would have needed them, right? Because he lived in the house. Yeah, he, he should have known where the house was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although he, uh, you know, maybe if he had done a better job coming back when he was a kid. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't have drowned to death. Actually, he may not have known. Hot take. It's all Tomas's <laughs> fault. Yeah. I'm Team Carlos down with Tomas. No. Fuck um, Tomas. Fuck Tomas. <laughs> no. Uh, he deserved uh, to die. No, but the reason he didn't great. come out of the 
the reason he didn't do it though was because he was uh he had facial disfiguration mm-hmm. right for which he always wore a hood over his head and then the other kids removed it a creepy hood mask yeah the creepiest hood you could possibly choose that that is one of the things that's a little strange about the movie is that they say it takes place current day which nowadays is like 20 years ago it's like early 2000s (laughs) the fashion reflects that and then uh they say that tomas died 30 years ago which is Mm. just after laura left the uh the orphanage but every time they cut to video of the orphanage, it looks like a hundred years ago. Yeah. I, what era is this? Oh, yeah. It would have been 1970-something, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does not look like 1970 at the beginning. The orphanage yeah. was very behind the times. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. I never thought about that. Yeah, it absolutely would have been like 1975. And yet they yeah. still made him wear this like scarecrow looking creepy ass Thomas may have made that he made may have, it for yeah. he may have made that yeah maybe he wanted so he, maybe he liked the yeah. scarecrow so he wanted to look kind of like saw the scarecrow that. they yeah. had up front oh i feel yeah. so bad for Tomas. yeah <laughs> we all do the, the yeah. enemy here is really well i guess there's no enemy but like i do not feel bad for his mom benina benina Ah, you know, right. Benina, you know, well, are we going, are we oh, going well, in order of the plot or how do we, how we're kind of going all over. <laughs> oh, okay. we're going to, all over. Uh, well, we'll jump into some things just to wrap up the, the first summary. Then we can hop into some other topics, yeah. but basically the day that they open up as like a school, their launch day, Simone does not want to come join the party. He says he wants to visit Tomas's little house and then he disappears. And then the rest of the movie is kind of the six to nine months after that as Laura is trying to find her child and where he disappeared to. And now we can hop mm. around. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so this old lady, but you blame comes Benigna? by. Huh? Benigna? What is it? Benigna? Yeah. Whatever her name is. She's, she used to work there, and we don't know that at first. But she's also Tomas's mom, and oh my god, <laughs> uh, she also went on a killing spree at one point as well. She did. So. She, she killed. Totally did. Uh, all the children. In revenge. Yeah. Right. We're giving that away. Yeah, in revenge for them killing. I asked about spoilers earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we're going for it. I'll I'll reorganize things. But yeah, over the course of the movie, we learn that, right? Yeah. We have this weird lady showing up, pretending she's a social worker. And I don't know how she got... Maybe she really is a social worker. I don't know. Because uh, she mm. has Simone's file, too. Uh, I was kind wondering of how she condition got that. Everything. Yeah. I think she really is a social worker. Like, she's also a terrible murderer person, but... That doesn't necessarily mean you can't get work. But that could be an easy career transition. Yeah, if you've yeah. worked at an orphanage uh, and you want to get out of there because they might discover the bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That could be. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe I missed it. Did they ever explain kind of what they thought happened with the children? Because like oh. Laura discovers they were murdered, but I don't remember it talking about like, oh, and then the children disappeared and no one ever found them. 
Yeah, um, well, you gotta gotta piece it together. Well, I think what happened. Oh yeah, was we never that... knew if it was they were missing, but we knew that. We knew that Laura's best friends, uh, were the ones who led Tomas in the cave and took his mm-hmm. mask off, and that Tomas stayed in the cave. We presume rather than reveal himself. Yeah. and drowned in the cave and that's that's why his ghost is like stuck in the cave but the other ghosts of children are stuck in the orphanage because that is where they were poisoned by Tomas's mom who poisoned them out of revenge i think i just presume oh, yeah. that but definitely she did it because she returned to try to um she was in the shed where the bodies were stashed yeah. Uh, and she tried to... Well, I guess they had a crematorium, too? I guess every orphanage needs... A crematorium. A crematorium out back. <laughs> I don't know. That was, well, like, yeah. the weirdest thing. Yeah, because we see her... The first time we... Or the second time we see her, which is in the, the shed crematorium, yeah. which we don't know it's crematorium yet. Uh, she just... She's, like, running away with a shovel. Yeah. So it's like, what the... What? What the hell? <laughs> you know? Which is a thing I've never seen in real life. I've never seen an 80-year-old woman running away around in a yard at night with a shovel. So I think well, she I mean, looks least... older than she is supposed to be, too. Because if it's only 30 years, she definitely looks like she's in her 20s in the 1970s section. And then suddenly she's, yeah, like an 80-year-old woman. I'm like, what happened to you? I guess just the stress <laughs> of losing oh, yeah. your child and then murdering a bunch of kids ages you. Yeah, don't murder children. It'll age you so fast. Or if you do, yeah. moisturize. Actually, maybe what we're what we're not realizing is is that Spain is on a different uh, uh, time frame oh. than we are. So, like thirty years ago is different than Spain's thirty years oh. ago. <laughs> so, like yeah, Spain, time it's relative. Yeah, is in like Spain likes dog years or something. It's in a yeah, gravity well. Spain likes to well. chill out, so they take a you know. There's a supermassive object distorting space time. Mm-hmm. You know, around Portugal. Over, over Portugal, <laughs> and you know, maybe just the stress of being ruled by a fascist dictator. For yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Franco for a minute, you know? (laughs) Let's talk about Franco for a minute. I mean, I'm guessing there's probably, just because this is such a part of Spanish horror, uh, maybe there was a reason why it's set at that specific time. Mm. I do wonder uh, how many of the things, because how many of the, like, there are certain references, not very many that I think, I bet if I was Spanish, I would get this, <laughs> you know, like there were certain <laughs> things about like the way that the hunt took the, the, not the hunt, the looking for the missing child happened or the, um, what they played a bit of media at one point too, where they mentioned the kid, mm-hmm. but overall it didn't seem like the movie itself, I think was more unusual in that it had so much sympathy for the ghosts which is a thing that to me, even though I think he was only a producer, did remind me a lot of of Guillermo del Toro's other work, where I feel like it's sort of characterized by by sympathy or compassion for the monster in whatever yeah. movie it is. Um, and I do feel like that is kind of a, a part of this. But in a lot of other ways, I do think it's kind of... Um, it uses a lot of, of horror, classic horror things that happen. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say like it's certainly not a movie that like leans on one particular thing. It doesn't always lean on jump scares. It doesn't always lean on gore, but like Right. There was a like a little bit of there was a taste of each of the genres of horror, it felt like. Yeah. 
Um, I feel like it most strongly is a gothic horror film. Mm. If that, I mean, that makes sense to me. That seems like a flavor that Spanish horror directors also like to work with in a lot. Um, oh. Or making films about Spain, like Guillermo del Toro with Pan's Labyrinth has kind of a gothic feel to it. Or even more so Crimson Peak. <laughs> Super gothic movie. Um, I have and not so I seen no. Oh, you need to watch. Crimson We're learning. Peak. Oh, okay, we will. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's not that scary. It's it's oh, lightly it. <laughs> scary. There's some you know there's some goopy gore stuff that Guillermo mm. likes to throw in, but yeah, <laughs> crawl up that Crimson Peak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now I don't want to watch it just because <laughs> the way you phrased that. I'm suddenly out Crawl of that crimson peak. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but basically, and I have just a little quotation here from, let me see, from Amanda Pagan for the New York Library explains about gothic horror. As long as the environment invokes a disturbing sense of unease and or terror within the reader or viewer in this case, then anywhere is fair game in a gothic horror novel or movie like anywhere like location wise yeah so and she kind of looked at you know rosemary's baby as Mm. a gothic horror even though that takes place in an apartment building in new york so this one is more strongly in that older tradition right of we have a kind of a haunted house the space itself is disturbing rather than it being something like a wuthering heights scenario right where we have this tortured romance we have a a tortured mother-child relationship. And I don't know if you have a strong affinity for that kind of story or gothic horror in general, but that was also an interesting choice, I think, just because it is, it's always hard for these things. And, you know, horror purist people are always very, like, have a hierarchy or, like, a top-down approach. Like, is this even a horror movie if, like, that's not its goal? Because I think it's trying to do more of that emotional work than really be scary. Yeah, that's true. Like the Although tr- I found it still plenty scary. Yeah. But yeah, I, the the location being prominent, the name of the movie, but then but then <laughs> the the tragedy of the relationships. Mm. Uh yeah, that definitely comes through. Like every like I feel bad for all of them <laughs> actually. Circumstances even though it kind of yeah. resolves the circumstances yeah. are just working against everybody in the movie. Yeah. Huh. What do you think, Candace? Um. What do I think? I you can think about it. Sorry. Oh, think yeah. about it. <laughs> no worries. Well, I'll just talk a little bit more about gothic horror because I love it while you're thinking about it. Yeah. I'd love um, to learn about it. Basically, it's one of the oldest forms of horror storytelling is it really right i mean outside if you look back in the world of you know fairy tales and kind of the horror elements that could come out of those the gothic novel is kind of one of the first novels and so the way that we kind of look at horror in general can be framed as like going hand in hand with the gothic series of things right gothic does not necessarily mean just horror but it does have a strong footing and just kind of the dreary the dreadful the depressing these dark spaces that we're all kind of uh, drawn to even in a drawn to in a way that 
maybe is a little bit morbid, but I do really like when it's used in this way where there's kind of a, I don't even know what to call it, just an elegance, I guess, about it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So would like something like Beetlejuice be a gothic horror? Like, I don't actually consider, mm. I consider that more to be a comedy, but I could see it being in that genre. Yeah, I think to a degree. Because, like, it takes place at someone's house. Yeah, maybe. Partially. Hmm. This is a good... Well, thank you for bringing that up. That's going to go on the Twitter, and we're going to get some feedback. So <laughs> in a couple months, I'll let you know what the <laughs> folks think about Beetlejuice as a gothic horror it's movie. Qualify. Yes. But that feels accurate. Tim Burton probably does work in gothic horror quite a bit. Yeah, I'm definitely about more about setting a mood than yeah. anything else. Or especially than scaring people specifically. See, now I'm like yeah. thinking about The Nightmare Before Christmas. Is that also one? You know, like where that wasn't considered a scary movie, but I mean, it it does have those elements. Yeah. This movie is certainly, uh, I mean, you know, a, lo- an, a abandoned orphanage is a great creepy setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, yeah, at that time, people were moving to to shooting digital for for films, and it opened up, you know, all kinds of uh, color grading options that hadn't happened before. So, like, that's around the same time that Traffic happened. Happened was yeah. released. I don't know. Um, and they used you know different colors to signify different places really strongly. But this movie for sure makes strong use of of color grading as a way of just like making everything look kind of gray and blue (laughs) at all times that I think really like increases the mood. Yeah. What? Oh, this is a perfect question for photographers, people who look at it that way. What is color grading? Can you explain that to us? I think, I don't know that everyone listening is going to understand exactly what that means and how it works to set a mood in a film. So you're the perfect people to speak on it. Yeah. Uh, what's really interesting too, is that I think that color grading is something that's, um, technology has made, uh, photography and video merge more and more over time. Mm-hmm. And color grading is a term or a way of thinking about color that I think photography is now currently stealing from the world of film. But basically the idea is that originally, originally, no, a long time ago, uh, film, that they shot on was really bad. And then sort to make it look decent, you had to sort of adjust the colors afterwards uh, so that uh, things looked correct, or maybe even a little more vibrant than real Mm -hmm. life. And over time, people realized that you can use colors uh, to sort of set a mood really because the way that human vision works, uh, we adjust what we're looking at in our head. So like, even if, even if a screen is showing just like nothing but shades of blue in our minds, we kind of know like certain things are a little bit less blue and they're probably actually warm in real life. So basically what I'm saying is that you can take whatever colors are most accurate to real life and stray very far from it uh, in your finished video and if people are sort of engaged in the story, they won't notice that the colors that you're seeing don't really look anything like the colors uh, of real life, you know? 
and and I think that that whole process became a lot easier uh, in the early two thousands because people were editing movies on computers now for the first time. So um, a lot more creativity ended up going into it, and people started yeah. really sort of like, let's just make everything very warm and orange, you know, um, or and very yellow or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just sort of shifting all the colors over, a or bit. that very sickly green. Yeah, exactly. Like the mid to basically the whole early part of the two thousands, every horror movie is just like either sickly green or yellow. It was a whole mess. Yeah, green, yellow, or blue, uh, and and like very contrasty as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've really, um, you know, darkened the shadows, <laughs> crushed the shadows. Yeah, um, in in a lot of those movies. But the orphanage uses contrast in a good way. That the contrast is very much more about uh, contrast of black to light, rather than kind of more of contrast with this other weird color i think just the it's a bit subtler yeah it's not as jarring to me as a lot of movies from you know the 2000s are it definitely i I, i'm glad you said that because um i didn't during the whole movie i didn't think about the color but i definitely took note of like wow these reds are really pretty like these Mm -hmm. like they're not scary they're very rich and the rest of the colors were a little more muted but in terms of like how gray and blue it was, I didn't realize how gray and blue it was and how sad it had and how sad mm. the color made me feel until the very end when it uh, when it was yellow, you know, when they when they switched it to warmer colors. Mm-hmm. And then it made me realize, oh, this whole time I've been in like a hole and now I'm back out. Yeah. And literally, you literally go down into that hole with Laura and uh Oh yeah, you sure do. <laughs> um when that reveal happens. Woo! And actually that oh actually that's another place where you notice the color grading because there is that one instance where like the colors do become more warm, more vibrant. You know, when you when you think you don't know how the hell it, it happened, but you think everything's about to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then when reality sets in and your mind goes, Oh, yeah, no, this makes more sense that there's ghosts and you're yeah. really and truly not in a good place. That's another place where like you see the, you, you recognize the color grading. Are you talking about sort of towards the end where she goes down into Tomas's room downstairs? Yeah, we find that Simon's alive and just waking up and, you know, she's holding on to him and saying like, go away, you ghosts. We're just going to yeah. make him go away. And then turns out... um, the opposite. Yes, yes, <laughs> Kevin, you just made a gesture like flipping over. Yes, that yeah. is exactly the expectation that you have. Because when she's in that world with all the ghosts, because in the movie she's told that that she has to really believe in it to to believe for it to to see the ghosts. You have to yeah. believe first. So when she goes in that world, everything's kind of sepia toned, which is kind of a little bit orange brown and suggests nostalgia to people. Uh, and then there's this this classic moment, I think, in a lot of other movies where it's like once she finds her son, she has to stop believing in the ghost so that they'll go away. The close your eyes to protect yourself and stop believing in it and then it will just go away and it works. And it turns out that reality is much, much worse. Yeah. Than than the ghost world. <laughs> Well, yeah, and that the Tomas or the Simon Simon she's found is a ghost as well. 
And that moment where the blanket unravels is so oh. heartbreaking. It actually just occurred to me as Logan was saying that, that, oh, while she was in the ghost world, she was also talking to her ghost son. And when she mm-hmm. stopped believe when she tried to stop believing in the ghosts, she stopped believing in her son. Yeah, and she could Ooh. she she was hoping like the two of us can leave this place and go back to the living world. Uh but he can't. He can't go back with her. And yeah. why is that? Is it because he we find him in that because, room? Because he's he's dead. Yeah. Cuz this isn't Casper, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> This is the real, this is the orphanage. That's right. Carlos was right all along. <laughs> Should have listened to Carlos. Yeah. Um, that actually, oh man, I think that's when the waterworks started for me was that like, when you had that realization of, yeah, there's definitely ghosts and there is a supernatural in the story, but really what really and truly happened to Simone is that mm-hmm. I don't know how the hell he got down there, but he went down to the basement and his mother locked him in. That's how he died. It's her fault. Well, we can talk about that's my next oh. topic of conversation. And it's oh, not her oh, fault. Shoot. She had no idea. Um, oh, she did it, though. Well, OK, OK. I don't blame her, but I can see. Well, I mean, she, I mean, she <laughs> did she do it? I mean, she yeah. did do it. But then how did he get down there? Was it Thomas? Was it Lara? I think so. You know. Maybe a little of both. But yeah, I yeah, I don't blame her. I but I understand yeah. why she blames herself. No. And so that makes things a little bit more understandable. But going into that idea of how did Simone find out about the room? I think it goes back to the games and I love the use of gameplay in this movie. This is also just like my pet. Mm theme of anything of like how is how are games being used how is interactivity being used in this uh the movie Mm -hmm. even starts off with a game right they're playing we see the laura and her friends playing un dos tres toca la pared which is knock 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 on the wall which means that it was how do you describe this it's like a red light green light type game where the person has to face the the wall or the tree knock on it yeah and then the other people can walk while they're knocking but once the person turns around you have to stop until you reach that person but i didn't even get the parallels with oh, the knocking part yes the too. knocking and the the sound that recurs over and over again in the movie is this knocking on the wall she learns about that uh, but it's actually simone knocking to try to be lit out of the room that he's stuck in yeah and i love that that subversion of that trope of like the he- the big noise, the knocking sound, the ghost rapping through the hallways, whatever it gets used in most other movies. It's actually like, yeah, story wise, very relevant in this film and very, again, very sad. But I like that moment in the beginning, just because I like how that starts off. And I've always loved Red Light, Green Light. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good game. It's better than Red Rover. Yes. And then I like how it's used when she's trying to get the ghost children to come out to her. I appreciated that. One, I appreciate that Tomas, his disfigurement was not a a mm. scary disfigurement. It wasn't a Frankenstein dis, uh, disfigurement. It was something where, you know, if he wasn't in a, in a, in another time, another world, 
it would have been fine. It well, it is fine, but like he, he probably wouldn't mm-hmm. have been regarded as a monster. Um, and I appreciate that when the ghosts came out to when they started playing uh, one, two, three, knock on the knock on the door, knock sure. on whatever you want. What was it one, knock two, on three? the wall is like the words that they knock say, the, but knock on the wall. Oh, um, thank you. But uh, yeah, I just was I, it. It made me that. That could have been a very scary moment when she was playing that game with the ghosts, but because the kids were kids, they weren't like, you know, gory or anything. Yeah. They're just there. You know, it made me really get into the story and it made me, you know, for a second I was like, maybe everything will be okay. Maybe Simone is somewhere and they're going to figure out how to live with these ghosts together. And the end. You know, because, you know, they're not. Yeah. Anyway, I just appreciate that. Like it was. Yeah. It was kids. It wasn't. Right. There's not like extra makeup or extra ghostliness to them. Like it's basically how they looked when they were still alive. Just more shadowy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it still creeped me out because (laughs) the end of that game is that the person touches you on the shoulder. And so I, I was freaked out. Uh, and to me, it really showed like how far mm-hmm. she was willing to go too, because there's sort of a turning point for her Literally. where she really embraces that she needs to communicate with the ghosts. She has to turn, yeah. and Part uh, of the game is turning. She has to turn around and allow them to uh, uh like creep up on her from behind. But they weren't uh, trying to scare them. They weren't. They, they were like, just trying to play hey, the tag, game. You're it. Let's go. They weren't, you know. they were just trying to play the game. But then again, as you said, your theory is that, you know, all they want to do is just kill you so that you can hang out with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which it's perfectly is... innocent. You know, they, they, they just want yeah. her to die. That's but, all. I mean, that makes sense in ghost logic. <laughs> and that's the other game that yeah. is threaded through, right? Early on, one of my favorite parts early on in the movie too, is when Simone is trying to lead Lara through the treasure hunt. Like, oh, we have to go to this thing. Okay, mm, wait, mm-hmm. the thimble that takes us to the sewing kit. And it's just shot really quickly with all these quick cuts all around the house. And it's really fun. And I think it shows you a lot about their rela- relationship. Um, and it tells you a lot about Lara, too, that she doesn't, mm-hmm. she's not annoyed by this. She doesn't try to stop him. She's like, oh, sure. Yeah, whatever you say. Let's let's search this thing out. Let's figure it out. She doesn't get annoyed. and Even, yeah, though, even it's though it's raining. raining. She's like, let's go out in the rain. and. <laughs> Dig through the squand. It's raining. They still go outside. Yeah, just digging yeah. up the dirt, looking for clues. And the music makes it really fun in that moment, too. Yeah. It's very uh, energetic, fun music. Yeah. It's a real turning point, uh, like a brief diversion in a way, but plot wise, yeah. it's so Because we integral. learn. Yeah. Until that schmuck Tomas was. Oh, yeah. Oh, now you're calling Tomas a schmuck. I feel like we've gone all over. We're like, Carlos, yay. <laughs> He kind of was okay. Tomas, oh, I, I still cutie. like Tomas, but I think. Oh, I still think he's a cutie, but I will say he was a bit <laughs> of a butt when the game led to the yeah. coins. But what really Tomas was doing was, you know, being like, "Hey, this little folder here. It says we're adopted, and you need to know that." Like that was kind of rude of Tomas to do that. Like he didn't have to do that. Sure, you know, like rude. For sure. Yeah, but you know, ch- children don't, you know. I know. Don't think about the consequences. That's why they removed Tomas's hood and left him in a cave, you know? And that's why if they end up killing people in real life, 
you know, it's not intentional. Like they just want to play. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh... They didn't. They didn't take Simone down into that basement to kill him. It was just like that's part of the game, right? Simone played the game and he got the coins, and like was able to make his wish. And so, like, your mom needs to like have her turn playing the game. And so they decided we should hide Simone to make this game happen. But also, every time the ghosts do something, the ch- child ghosts, uh, it always seems like it's also the it it echoes a lot of um, stories about ghosts having mm. unfinished business in this world. Uh. So, like a- almost everything that they every time they play the game, it's like Tomas wanted to reveal this truth about Simone by the paperwork that's hidden uh, that's at the end of this game. But also, like, the children kind of pushed her to discover their bodies so that they could discover what happened to them. The same thing with Tomas. Like, it seems like every Mm. time they're interacting, it's also leading to the real world sort of figuring out the truth about what happened, too. Yeah. I mean, you could have just told her. I mean, that probably would have looked quicker. The movie, yeah, I went with the movie then. Or maybe they could. Yeah, that was. The ghosts can't talk. Because they definitely Interesting. They didn't talk really at all, except for Simone. Or maybe they couldn't talk in real life. Hmm. But the see, children had all sorts of different issues going on. So yeah, it's true. Although they did, uh, if we if we ju- jump to another part, they did talk when they were all together. You know, when they were like, "It's mm. really Lara." You oh, that's know? right. That's true. Um, and even Tomas talked. You know. Yeah. Oh, and that's such a sweet moment. Uh, I'd like to think that. Touching on Lara's face. <laughs> when you don't yeah. think about what really happened, it really is. I mean, yeah, waterworks were going. And it really, like I said, this to Logan after the movie. I was like, you know, I bet when they died and Tomas and the kids were together, that they probably, those kids probably mm-hmm. apologized to Tomas. Being like, look, I, I'm sorry. We didn't mean to. We we did. I'm sorry. We didn't know this was happening. You know, and Tomas was probably like, yeah, I mean... Not cool, bro. But, you know, now let's hang out. Yeah. That's that's how I think the story went. Maybe that's part of also why we're not supposed to like Carlos that much is just so that we don't feel as bad when Laura dies at the end. So we're just like, well, she's not really, she's not missing out on anything yeah. on this plane of existence. <laughs> so I think we've come full circle on it. Yeah, that's, that little. That's my final resting case on carlos take the eyes and leave the rest i still feel bad for him <laughs> i mean i feel oh bad for God. him as a person but... or maybe he's the rich one Ooh. Um, <laughs> i guess yeah i mean his his child and wife did die close yeah. together but you know he could die too you know and maybe that's the next thing that's happening because at the end of the movie you know, the door, he's picking up the, the, um, she, she wears a necklace to mm-hmm. protect her and give her good luck. Uh, oh, which saint was that? Do we remember? Saint Mick. Saint Anthony. Anyone have their, uh, Catholic yeah. studies on hand to remember who Saint Anthony is? Not um, at all. Not one bit. No. Never had him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, the door is open and he smiles. So like, you could see it as two ways. One, he feels assured that he can mm. move on with his life. Or two, he's about to die. And they're all going to be together. Now, I'm a romantic. I, I prefer the latter. Spoiler alert. 
I think he's gonna die. Yeah, I prefer that mm. way because I, you know, it's from it's a then it's a rom com with kids because now the whole family's together again. You know, it's an inverse rom com. <laughs> yes. You have to die to really live, um, or that's the tagline. Sometimes <laughs> you have to die to really live. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I okay. Why I still feel bad for him is that most likely think about this. Nobody is going over there. She's already, Larda already cast off uh, Pilar, who is the detective. You know, she's like, you know, yeah. F off. Um, because, you know, there's there's a detective actually looking for the kid, like one does. You know, so nobody's going over there. The first person who would have saw, um, you know, Lara no longer alive mm-hmm. with her head down, holding this emaciated skeleton, almost a skeleton of a son, would have been him. <laughs> yeah. You know? Ugh. So like, just imagine like what he saw. Like I, I don't, I don't know how. I was like trying to put myself in that position, and like, I just, the, I don't know how I would feel. I was watching a video that was dissecting kind of color and location in the movie, and it's interesting. They talked about how the throughout the course of the movie, you see Laura wearing a lot of white until. Until uh, Tomas, until Simone's disappearance, I keep switching Simone and Tomas. She's wearing a lot of white until oh. Simone's disappearance, and then she switches kind of to more muted gray black colors. But early on in the movie, mm-hmm. we see Simone wearing this kind of maroon sweater, and even though it's not the same exact mm-hmm. sweater throughout, basically at some point each of them end up wearing a very similar looking sweater so oh damn uh, simone is wearing it early on later on i think it's after i forget what point but sometime after i think maybe right after she discovers the children's bodies is when laura puts on a very that very similar sweater and then she eventually dies and in the last scene carlos is wearing a very similar maroon sweater so that's my indication that what? He's done so. Oh man, I'm like, I'm like, I picked up the old phone and did some. Googling. Oh yeah, I can um, try to find that link again. I'll send you. It's a short video. It's, I mean, it was fun. It's nice, but yeah, touching on a lot of color theory and stuff in cinema. It's a cool reading. Yeah, I would love. And I'll add that. the links in my whatever link box. Is that what we call it? A link box. L- link box. Yeah. I'm gonna put it in my link box. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Well, any final thoughts? How was it coming back to it after 13 or so years? I feel that like when I first saw it, I remember on a pers- on a personal level, I was in another like, like we had just got here. We were kind of, um, it was 2008. <laughs> so we were kind of, you know, starting out and doing, oh, I think both of us had an overnight job at that point. So I feel like we watched the orphanage mm. and then went to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we were in this like state of like, it was a hot mess at that point uh, for, I guess, everyone in the U.S., but us as well. And then coming and watching it a little bit older um, and in a, in a, and I felt in a lot more in a, in a more comfortable state personally, uh, I felt like I could take it on more. I felt like I, I could. I felt for all the characters more, you know? Mm. Yeah. For me, it was definitely. I don't think the the time made much of a difference the movie certainly left an impression on me the first time that was lasting 
but the first time I watched it, I was was absolutely trying to solve it like a riddle. Like, is Simone alive? Is he not alive? Is he a ghost now? Are the ghosts real? Are there actually ghosts? Um, and this time, I think, because I had seen the ending, I could appreciate so many other things that happened that indicate yeah. that earlier in the movie, so much foreshadowing that happens. And also just the beautiful and... and um, leaving not very many loose ends way the stories and narrative Mm -hmm. reintegrates itself like they really adhere to a lot of the rules like the the way that things are used is pretty consistent and then also the the story makes so much sense in and of itself but then you've got this whole another layer of the parallel to the Mm. peter pan story which really doesn't feel forced to me at all it's just amazing that like this story stands alone as a story that makes sense. And then you add that layer onto it. It's like, oh yeah, like it really ties in in that really interesting way. And I think it maybe that's something that is part of the, the attitude towards people about uh, thinking about children with the children who died, you know, stay youthful forever um, is kind of uh, maybe that's sort of the Gothic beauty. Now you're getting it about, you know, twisting that (laughs) knife into you. We're going to have a gothic book club. Make sure to pick up your copy of Wuthering Heights (laughs) at the local. I hate Wuthering Heights. Let the thing. You're going to get your heights weathered. I find I find them so obnoxious. I just can't stand those characters. Ah, uh, my favorite. Oh, it's always complaining. I know they can got stuff to complain about, but just do something about it or not. <laughs> so <laughs> make a decision. So, are you saying that you think of Wuthering Heights the same way you think of Rent? <sighs> yes. Oh, I hate Rent so much. <laughs> wow. Too. Yeah. I'm learning a the, lot. Uh, of there's just a lot getting revealed here at the end. News about you today, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm not really. I like decisive characters, characters who decide to kill themselves. So you like Laura. I'm like, I support your decision. Yeah. I'm like, this is. He was, he was sitting there going, you "You know what? Good call. Good call. (laughs) Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Not supporting dying by suicide (laughs) as a general practice, but. No, no, no. My official stance. No. (laughs) If it makes sense for the movie, it does make me want to watch it again. It was a very rewarding watch. I don't know why I put it off for 14 years. But definitely one to kind of sit, come back to. Yeah. And talk over me, please. My cat is mm-hmm. trying to get in. He's meowing up a storm. You're just going to hear a lot of cat meows. I, uh, I, I, I figured that's yeah. what that was. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely one of those ones where, like, you want to sit down and invest in it. Like, you really want to, like, take it in as much as you can, you know? Um, or is that a ghost cat that's sending you Shit. messages? Oh, it's probably a ghost cat. But you haven't figured out the riddle. Uh, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I got enough to deal with with no. a living cat. Ghost cats, like I don't know how to get you some ghost salmon. They're probably really rude because, like, they alive cats will bug you. Yeah, and like Fair they know enough. they can bug you, but eventually they do have to stop because they're tired. Ghost cats know that they won't get tired, and they'll just mm. bug you. Because that's, you know, yeah. that's their purpose. And at all hours of the day or night. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that gets us to a good place. 
with the orphanage. <laughs> Hopefully a more uplifting place than maybe where we end that movie. It's, you know, still, I think, a really great example of gothic horror, a great example of this Spanish cinematic trend in the horror genre. So I'm excited to dig more into some of these other European and across the world cinemas. Mm. If you have any recommendations, let me know, because I'm always trying to add on new sites for people to see. But with that, where can we find you also on the internet? I know we have Oom Photography labeled, but maybe can you spell it out for us and where, what social medias you use it on? Yeah, so we are, uh, so it's oomphotography.com. That's O-O-M-P-H-O-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y.com. Uh, and then we're also, um, we're on Facebook, but not really. <laughs> uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, and we're also on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. fire up those LinkedIn accounts. Fire them yeah. up, guys. I'll add fire it to the link box. <laughs> yeah. The link box. Yes. And they're all, uh, yeah. Instagram, Instagram slash photography. Uh, if you really want to find the LinkedIn, it's the same one. Um, uh, yeah. And then, um, my makeup oh, podcast, yeah. makeup brush podcast. sounds, brush sounds. Yep. Yep. That's going to be coming back. Yeah. And um, we haven't discussed yet, but hopefully we will be returning with uh, our theater group oh, show party, oh, yeah. um, which, yeah, we had performed uh, last show was in 2020 uh, for New Year's. Um, and so hopefully in the next uh, year, we'll be up and running doing things. Uh, yeah. So time will Keep tell. us time on will tell. that tip and we can add in anything upcoming shows and things like that. Well, thank you for joining me, Candace and Logan. And, you know, keep it creepy out there. The Orphanage is underscored beautifully by its use of childhood games and stories to tell a classical ghost story in a slightly fairy tale way. The 2017 film As Boas or Good Manners, doubles down on the fable aspect even more, giving us a story of women-loving women romance, sleepwalking, and werewolf babies that grows into a deep exploration of family and class consciousness in Sao Paulo, Brazil. A special shout-out to fellow horror podcast A Nightmare on Fear Street for pushing us to watch this when it became available on Shudder. We are over the moon with this movie, not to get overly punny. In this film, co-directed by Juliana Rojas and Marco Dutra, Clara clinches a nannying job in her last-ditch search with the rich, neurotic, and very pregnant Anna. As the women grow closer, Clara notices Anna's strange eating and sleepwalking habits as the moon grows full. As Anna's due date approaches, Clara discovers that she is in love with Anna, and with the impending arrival of Anna's baby, she has to decide if she's ready to be a part of this family. There's a whole bunch more going on here. Fair warning, the film is just over two hours long. But we wouldn't want to ruin any of the surprises or charm that this movie brings. There is a similar sad streak to The Orphanage, though with moments of humor, and as mentioned, a more fabulistic storytelling tone that lightens the mood somewhat. Start off your journey on our horror holiday vacation with a back-to-back of these two films and keep your feet inside the ride because we're off to Australia next week as we discuss the 2019 Zombies at the Zoo movie, Little Monsters. Keep it creepy!
quick. Did you hang up? No, I just said click. 